Yes, hello, and welcome to Pop Up Submissions Live Easter Special. Have you had too much chocolate? I have. Uh, the Course of True Love, says Lysander, in a Midsummer's Night Dream, never did run smooth. Well, let's hope that's true. Otherwise, today's authors wouldn't have much to write about. Today's theme is romance, and here to help me, of course, is the Solid Gold Genius Room. Let's take a peek at them now. That seems to be going quite well. And uh, for the first time on Pop-Ups, it's international best-selling romance writer, yeah, Lizzie Chantry, all the way from Essex. And also here, to keep me on the straight and narrow, is the utterly fabulous Annie Summer. Well, since we review your manuscripts, it's only right and proper that you should review ours. And here's one that's just in. That's from Tony, Tony Gervaisi. I remember that submission really well. And Tony says, I wanted to write an email to Pop-Up Submissions, giving thanks to you and the panel of judges so that your subscribers may find a bit of inspiration, even though I did not win. Through the input of the judges and your help specifically, I landed a publishing deal. Yeah! Last fall for my novel, Osage F Avenue. And I remember that very well. Uh, I've been in the editing process for several months now, and the book is expected to hit the shelves this fall. I wanted to thank you again for all your help, if not for your advice and guidance. I do not think I would have gotten to this point. Isn't that absolutely brilliant? I'm so pleased. All right, so just over halfway through the month, let's see how the leaderboard is looking. And Ella Mishney's middle grade fantasy, the reality coder about an 11 year old girl who can hack the laws of physics, still has a towering lead this month with 74 points. It's a very impressive score, Ella. It's not going to be easy to beat, but we've got five, author five authors today who are going to try. And let me just remind everybody, please, uh, that Latopia's monthly craft chat is live now on the subject of characters and characterization, a unique opportunity to get to grips with a skill that many writers never really fully understand. Straight into submission number one. And this is called Tell Me Who I Am. And it's from Hazel. It's women's commercial fiction, and this is Hazel's blurb. A woman's quest to trace her father, escape her mother, and find herself. Ava joins her antagonistic half-brother Nick in a bid to find their jailbird father, Andrew, who disappeared 20 years previously. They stumble along, hampered by lies and evasions, and discovering long-held family secrets. However... It's not until Ava's emotional journey becomes a genuine race for survival that her mother, Laura, is forced to reveal the most far-reaching secret of all. Promising, promising. Uh, let me tell you about Hazel. My main career has been in stockbroking, where I worked for 15 years. However, some years ago, I completed a freelance journalism course, after which I had articles published in local interest and specialist magazines. I also undertook a proofreading and copy editing course and received commissions, uh, most notably a biography of the renowned Birmingham historian William Hutton. 
Apart from writing my passion is for musical theatre, I live in the Midlands with my husband, Gap Year's son. I'm just trying to work that out. Was that a son that happened during Gap Year or what? Maybe uh, somebody could enlighten me. And Rescue Cat! Well, we always like a, a cat on, on pop-up submissions. And we know what we like even more, actually, is a reading from Emily. Tell Me Who I Am by Hazel Read by Emily Prologue, November 1982 The wait was over at last. The preceding fear-filled months, punctuated by shards of hope, had culminated in this one pivotal day. The sombrely dressed, middle-aged woman found herself being swept along and the tide of humanity fleeing the courtroom, an insignificant component of the surging throng. On reaching the street, she noticed a few stray reporters and photographers still waiting around, despite the fading daylight and steady drizzle. One eager, jeans-clad young man, a large camera slung around his neck, gave a glimmer of recognition. His Pavlovian response was to move stealthily forward, but he instantly retreated as his prey, used to rebuffing such intrusion, halted him with a look. Turning up her coat collar in a futile attempt to shut out the inclement weather, the woman continued determinedly on her mission, weaving in and out of the swarm of people streaming along the old bailey. She made her way towards Ludgate Hill, up Fleet Street and through the quiet, narrow alleyway that was Wine Office Court to her destination. Not that she was eager to meet this stranger who had blundered into her life and helped to turn it upside down, but arrangements had been made and she had no intention of flinching from them. It was now or never. There would be no further meetings. She paused for a moment or two, then, taking a deep breath, approached the unobtrusive entrance and went in. The interior of the centuries-old ye old Cheshire cheese was shabby, unassuming. Gloomily wood-panelled, it had a peculiar lack of natural light. A certain staleness permeated the air. She was certain that here she would be unlikely to meet anyone she knew. Perfect. A cursory exploration of the labyrinthine establishment confirmed her feeling that the other party was yet to arrive, so giving her, for the moment... The Upper Hand Chapter 1 May 2007 The couple sat, ramrod straight, in front of Ava's desk in her cluttered box of an office. The man was fair-haired, good-looking in a surly kind of way. There was something about him she found disquieting. The young woman was darker, unremarkable, yet Ava had the strange feeling she'd met her somewhere before. She was determined to create a friendly but professional atmosphere, despite her mixed first impressions. Now, she referred to her hastily written notes. Mr and Mrs Hadley, I... Mr Hadley interrupted, flushing in irritation. Oh, we're not married. I'm Nick, and Jessica here is my sister. Ah, sorry. Never assume, eh? I see you live in London. May I ask why you've chosen the Cheltenham Law Firm? Jessica looked her straight in the eye. I was recommended to you by a friend of a friend, she replied with a glint of defiance. I can't remember her name. Ava was certain she was lying, although she had no idea why. She already knew that her clients had asked to see her specifically, despite being informed by her secretary that their request wasn't usually the remit of a commercial property lawyer. You're very sensible to think about making wills, she continued smoothly. Most young people don't bother, especially if they're unmarried. Jessica spoke again. She appeared to be the driving force of the pair. The fact is our mother has recently died. She and my father parted a long time ago, and frankly, there's no love lost between him and us. We simply want to make wills in favour of each other, so that in the event of either of us dying, our father can't come out of the woodwork and claim anything. That's it in a nutshell. 
I see, said Ava, feeling a sudden empathy with these young people, whose situation somewhat mirrored her own. You obviously know what you want. Anyone is entitled to leave their assets to whoever they wish, and so long as it's all drawn up properly, signed and witnessed, it's legal. So, I need some personal details to begin with. She picked up a pen and turned to Jessica. May I have your full name, please? Jessica Elizabeth Hadley. Thank you. Date of birth? 21st of June, 1976. Address? 31 Northumberland Road, NW12. Jessica looked at Ava searchingly. Inviting comment. Okay, and as is our want, let's go straight to the juniors' room for their uh, extraordinary dissection of what we've just read. And remember, these are, these are writers too, so they're going to be supportive, but they are going to tell you the truth. Um, Johnny says, yeah, my vocalist thought actually, I'd sit the prologue, absolutely. Um, Katie agrees. Uh, pruning the adjectives would only make it stronger than they get in the way of the atmosphere. Um, Vagamon likes the title and blurb. Johnny, decent blurb. Matt, who was on last week, good blurb. Hannah, good blurb. So, yeah, good, good marks to the blurb from the genius room. Um, nice title, good blurb from James. Find the jump between scenes a bit abrupt, says Vagabond. And Hannah says the beginning of chapter one would be a better opening to the book. Well, I think there's, uh, there's a broad agreement emerging in the genius room. Let's see what Annie thinks. Well, I agree with the genius room on the prologue. I, I feel like there's, um, it's interesting and there's something, you know, it's, it's got quite a tense atmosphere. But at the end of it, nothing's really happened because it ends with her saying um, she's got the upper hand. But obviously for the writer, that makes sense. But for us as, a, as readers, it doesn't really, um, doesn't really go anywhere. And I think that the first chapter is a much better place to start because it does, like she mentions in the, or the author mentions in the writing that it mirrors the protagonist situation because, you know, at the end, the book's going to be about these siblings who are um, maybe working together. Um, so I thought that was um, interesting to set that up. The only thing I thought was that near the end, um, listing maybe this is a personal preference but listing the address and everything just felt maybe unnecessary unless yeah. that information's yeah. um, important i don't i don't um, know why that was there i mean I, I did feel that oh this this is terribly important information i'm gonna have to remember the, the bleeding address and since i find it quite mm -hmm. hard to remember my own address sometimes that's imposing an unreasonable work burden on me hazel but um let's just catch up again with the genius room um and that's exactly what Matt has just said, actually, Matty, and I'm guessing the address is the key. It's got to be, hasn't it? Otherwise, why is there? Could be the first sentence and work backwards. Yeah. Um, both prologue and story. Interesting. The story starts with the story, not the prologue. I couldn't agree more. Um, and Vagabond points out, did we just head hop? I'm not sure. Maybe you, you sensed that and I didn't. So, Lizzie, first reactions. Uh, yeah, I agree, actually, with any of this. It's kind of, it would have been better off starting in the first chapter and agreed that the address, I, I'm assuming that the address must be something that the main character Ava knows about or she's yeah. related or she lives there or that's yeah. what I was kind of thinking. Um, and also there must be some sort of connection between the siblings and her, but it didn't quite come out. Uh, really, maybe that needs to be brought out a bit uh, clearer. Yeah. Um, 
and like I say, going into the addresses and things, it needs to be explained why why you're sort of giving that information because you wouldn't normally, uh, unless it was an address that either she's living at or or um, you know is very relevant to the main character. Yeah, yeah, I agree. So for me, the interview, the sort of lawyer's interview, that that got interesting. I thought, well, there's a bit of story here. Um, I didn't. I mean, the prologues. Well, I don't know. Just I didn't. I can't remember anything about the prologue really. Um, it's all telling. Um, so I think I'm going to judge the writing on the interview, but I think there's a lot of stuff here that we actually don't need. Are you big on prologues, Lizzie? Um, not really, to be fair. I like to jump straight into a story. Um, yeah, but I yeah. did find this interesting because I was like, okay, who is this woman? What's happening? She's obviously, um, you learn a lot by the fact she's not been in the pub before or she doesn't frequent that type of place so yeah. you do learn quite a lot about her from that text so i was quite interested in it and the title they did actually make me want to know more about the story yeah decent title isn't it do you like that yes yes yeah, i did I, I thought that would make me take a second look or pick up I a look would. at the blurb yeah i would as well I, yeah i give that good marks let's have a look at the numbers so far and that's not bad hazel it's not 74 because that's a, that's a towering score actually 74 i mean maybe that's going to be the best score of the month we don't know but that's a pretty good score so far and it can go up and down remember because the genius room is still deciding the genii are deciding amongst themselves um each genius gets one vote and then we average it all out but i think that's a pretty darn good start actually hazel you should be pleased now we go straight to submission number two i think we're on a winning streak now this is from somerset downs oh, i love that name I'd love to know if that's your real name or not. Somerset Downs. Isn't that gorgeous? <gasps> Long summer days filled with, I don't know, cheap alcohol and uh, peanuts or something. And there's a QR code there too, so why don't you go and see where Somerset wants you to go to. It's contemporary adult slash women's fiction, and it's called Be Happy With My Life. Very short blurb. Be happy with my life as a gentle and amusingly life-affirming story of two women. Katie and Lauren and their trials and challenges as they come to terms with the realities of life and death. Let me tell you about Somerset. Um, previous novels plays. Previous novels plays. Okay. The prospect of redemption, a tender and considered examination of the psychological roots and emotional impact of incest. <sighs> oh my God. Um, <laughs> I don't know what that noise was. I think it, I think it was Annie's scooter. I think it's a scooter outside Annie's window. But it's very appropriate, actually. Don't, I don't want to don't silence that scooter. It seems to come in at the right time. Uh, the Tusitala, uh, the, the story of one man's atonement for something that happened to him 100 years before. The Killing Plan, a dystopian murder mystery story spanning four generations. This is, this is not about you at all, is it really? We know nothing about you whatsoever. Better by Fall, a stage play based on the prospect of redemption heretofore mentioned. Angels and Kings, a musical based on Shaw's Major Barbara. That's all very interesting. All very interesting, but we still don't know a damn thing about you. It was the noise of my horror, says Katie. <laughs> it might have been, actually. Yes, but uh, anyway, uh, uh, a noise that I'm very much looking forward to is the noise of Jeff giving this a darn good reading. Be Happy With My Life by Somerset Read by Jeff Chapter 1 Katie December 2006 Death That was the first thing that popped into my head 
like sat in the waiting room, gazing up at the sculpture pattern of the suspended ceiling tiles. Don't get me wrong, it wasn't the tiles that made me think of death, they weren't that bad. They were inanimate objects designed not to arouse intense feelings, apart from mediocrity. In that respect, they succeeded admirably. I actually found the tiles to be curiously attractive, but that was it. Not something I would have at home, but nevertheless, they were strangely pleasing on the eye. I imagined the surface of the moon probably looked remarkably similar when seen through a telescope. But then, most things, when viewed from a distance, took an entirely different perspective when seen up close. I had always viewed death much the same as the moon. It was so far away, it was not worth wasting too much time thinking about. Now and then, we are obliged to confront the existential reality of life. We are born, live, and then, but not me. I had never actually given it any real consideration. You don't when you are young. It's something that happens to other people, mainly old people. Well, older than me, anyway. Why precisely are we here? What does it all mean? I've only ever asked myself these questions when someone I know dies or the funeral service is dragging on a bit. The rest of the time, all that nonsense stays firmly locked away in a cupboard under the stairs. Best not to dwell on it too much, I thought. Nothing ever comes from dwelling too much on anything, especially something I didn't understand. But this time, it was different. It was me who might die, and suddenly, for the very first time, I had to confront the stark fragility of my mortality and how precocious life really is. The harsh reality was I just wasn't young anymore. I was nearly 28. I was probably being a tiny bit melodramatic, getting it out of all proportion to what it really was. But that's what I do when I don't know something. I remember seeing a play a few years ago, and for the first ten minutes, one of the characters just flipped a coin in the air, and it always landed the same way up. With each flip, I could feel the tension grow more intense as I waited for the coin to fall the other way up. It never did, till it did. Maybe life is like that, just a toss of a coin. Fear and anxiety lie in the unknown, and maybes and the what-ifs not in certainty. You can prepare for that, for what you do know will happen, but not for what you do not know that will happen. Will it be a slow, lingering, painful death, I wondered. I've always assumed the worst, but then I guess that's what everybody thinks when something unexpected pops up in your body. I was trying my best not to think about it, playing my brain with the dark side of the moon and wondering what happened to Sid Barrett after being kicked out of the band. That took my mind off other things for a while. Then I remembered he died only a few months ago. The final toss. Surely not me. I must be too young for breast cancer. It must be something else. I had googled the possible alternatives. Then another shot of reality bit my ass. Come on, get real. 28. Of course I wasn't too young. Anybody can get cancer at any time. It had become very cosmopolitan and not remotely ageist, a multifaceted disease for a modern society. Could it be a boil, I wondered? Now there was a lovely thought. No, it wasn't a boil. I knew that much. Had lots of them as they wandered through puberty. They were enormous and horrible, and my mum squeezed them out. Ugh! That was a hormone problem. I always got them on my bum. Oh. Interesting piece of information. Ah, let's go straight to the junior eye. 
Um, always right, never wrong. Um, I've, been, I've been puzzling over this comment from Johnny. It reminds me of the old actor Kingston Bagpuis. Oh my God, I've never heard of Kingston Bagpuis. But <laughs> I don't know if I want to or not, but I'm probably going to in a minute. Uh, like the title says, James, blurb doesn't hook me. I like the title too. Vagabonds, sorry, great author name, yes. But blurb is too bland, yes. E.G. Logan wouldn't make me want to read it, but hey... Anna says, uh, not keen on title, sounds like a self-help book. I guess, I guess it does, but it's still kind of intriguing. <clears throat> Johnny, cheap alcohol and peanuts, how romantic. That was the comment on me. Yeah, well, yeah. Lots of the big spenders. Uh, Barbara, you asked, recalling an earlier event and an opening doesn't work. Hannah, too much telling, what's happening, where and why. Vagabond, nice, but get to the point. Hannah's disengaging towards the end, working backwards here. Vagabond, losing me. Uh, nothing to make me care, yeah. And James says, this is like a stream of consciousness. And it is, actually, yes. Did you relate to anything there at all, Lizzie? Um, for me, it was... Uh, I didn't really feel kind of the tension. It was quite, again, I agree, it's a bit disengaging. Um I, I kind of wanted more maybe about the person other than maybe the going into so much about the health issue. Obviously, I understand that it was about, that was what, what it was about, mm. um, being a young person and going through um, ill health. Yeah. But, um, yeah, for me, it was a bit of, you know, when you are reading, um, like, contemporary books or romance books or women's fiction, sometimes you want something kind of just to grab you straight away that's about the person about their life other than maybe i think this might kind of after a while it might get a bit too much for the reader yeah it might do it's it's uh, i think james summed up for me it is sort of stream of consciousness isn't it which is yes. okay if it's sort of you know in 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 real life maybe but when it's sort of you know in black and white on the yeah. page it's sort of it's a bit like, I'll tell you what, I'm going to ask you a question. I've just total divergence. Can I, I know you're, you're big on networking. We're going to come and, and talk to you about yes. networking in a minute, right? But I've been uh, way before lockdown. I've been to a few networking events. And I'm always the person who gets trapped in the corner of the room with some, some guy from IT. And he's really selling his services. I don't buy IT. I don't want any. But I can't get away. So this, it kind of it felt like that to me a little bit like uh, this person is telling me all these things and i'm just yes. looking frantically how to get away how do you get away from people like that as a matter of interest in networking events uh you just have to be polite <laughs> polite and move oh, on okay. uh you know or, or drag someone else into the conversation or again just change the topic i think it's the easiest thing change to do. The topic. Um, mm, yeah right. change the topic and get them talking about something different but you can make oh. the most you know some great contacts in the in the strangest places with networking where you least expect it yeah, I, I, I don't seem to, but um, I'll take your word for that. We will <laughs> return to that subject in a moment. Uh, this is Wandering, says Matt. No wonder uh, we're lost. And Jeff, Jeff, our narrator, so very important to hear from the narrators, says, I felt there was too much moralising about death. There was, and not enough detail about the, pro, uh, the protagonist background story, which I actually thought was promising. Um, you know, it could, it could, I like the concept. It wants to be nice and heartwarming, but my, the cockles are, are not uh, heating up sufficiently yet, at least as far as I'm concerned. Let's see what Annie thought. Well, I thought there was some, um, there's some good writing in there, but it feels a little bit like a diary. So everyone's saying it's um, very stream of consciousness, and I, I agree with that. Mm. There was one line that I really liked that was like about the ceiling and how it might look like the surface of the moon. So obviously there are. Um, there are some really good ideas, but I think the writer has to kind of put the story first and um, mm. let us kind of get the ideas that she's um, writing about. 
There was one thing that um, was brought up that I think would be maybe an interesting place to start, which is where she mentioned about um, Googling our symptoms and mm. how mm. when you do that in real life and you, you know, you're Googling symptoms, you get yeah. like so many things. And I think that would be like a good place to like Brilliant. react to all these different. Um, Absolutely. Because everyone, everyone's done that. Um, there should be a word yeah. for it, actually. So there should there should be. I mean, the, uh, I'm not clever enough to, to to think up the word, but the genius room definitely is. So come on, genius room. What what is the the new word? We're going to indulge in a little little neologism today. It's for googling symptoms. It's you know, it's it's fake symptoms. It's whatever, but it's it's googling symptoms that you think you've got, and then convincing yourself that you're really ill. Uh, let's go back to the genius room just for a moment. Um, and Hannah's, uh, Hannah's got some good advice for me in that particular uh, networking situation, failed networking situation. She says, pretend you're about to throw up and rush to the loo. Thank you. I will. I absolutely will next time. Thank you. Let's look at the numbers for you, Somerset. You've got a 47 so far. Annie likes your title a lot. I, I quite like it too, actually. Yeah, but I, it kind of divides people. But I tell you what, people will remember it. I'll definitely remember it. Hopefully you found that useful and um, uh, positive, because we always try to be positive. It's definitely good writing. There you go. Yeah. Definitely good writing. Thank you very much. I had to. Uh, I have to mention the loud noise was me. There was you were right, Peter. I, there was a, a car outside it's, my it's window. <laughs> it's always me. What, what are they doing outside? They're just racing, I guess. I'm just racing. It's not. It's not some sort of strange running of the motorcycles festival that you have locally. Well, no, we have a motorcycle shop just down the street, but I'm looking at it now and it's shut, so I don't mm. know. Mm. Curious. Oh, I'm sure yeah. the mystery will be solved before the end of the show. Let's uh, let's get to meet uh, Lizzie now. Lizzie, you are a best-selling author. Uh, eight books, actually. Let's have let's let's have a look at Amazon, right? So this is your page on Amazon. I don't know if we can squeeze all the books in there. Uh, they're, they're mostly romance. There was one very interesting uh, uh, non-fiction book for authors we'll discuss in a moment. Um, this is, I don't think this is exactly your most recent, but we, we're going to ask you what it is because it's been a bestseller on Kindle and in the US as well. Um, so two questions, really. Um, how did you get into writing romance? And what's this book all about? Um, I got into writing because my child was unwell. Um, mm. So I actually ran my own business for about 15 years and then my mm. child was unwell for about 10 years. So um, I had to give up my business. Well, I chose to give up my business to be near my child. Yeah. Um, and then I just needed to stay awake at night uh, to hear her breathing. So I just thought, yes. what can I do? I tried the sweets and the coffee. Um, and I thought <sighs> I'd done writing courses as when I was younger. And I thought, you know what? I'll try writing a book. And that is what I did wow. with my first book, Babe Driven. I spent a year of evenings listening to my child breathe. Yes. <laughs> and then I put the book in a cupboard for five years and hid it until her health improved a bit. And then, then um, what did you do? What did you do with it after it came out after five years? What was your first reaction to the manuscript? Um, I still liked it, you know, um, obviously I didn't have a clue what I was doing, I didn't know anything about the writing community um, at all, um, so I kind of jumped in and taught myself, I read articles, mm. I joined writing groups, I joined, um, you know, Facebook groups, and I learned from mentors, basically, uh, found different mentors uh, for writing, and then um, just approached some publishers. And what happened then? What did they say? Well, I was offered a contract, actually. I was really lucky. Um, I was offered a contract straight away. But because my child still wasn't well, I felt, uh, being a businesswoman, I felt it was very unfair for the publisher um, that I couldn't 
give all that time and energy that I knew the book would need behind it. And yeah. um, I had just read an article about a really successful self-published um, yeah. author. Oh, it was yeah. very quite new. It was really new then. And I yeah. thought, you know what, rather than um, have that extra stress at this particular time in my life, mm. I self-published. So I self-published yeah. my first three. And then wow. by then, I felt a lot, my child was a lot stronger. So I then approached three publishers and two of them basically offered me a contract. So Fantastic. Um, yeah. it, it kind of went from there. Yeah. And are you still self-publishing or are you going foot in both worlds? Yeah, I'm hybrid. So I've got yeah. a traditional publisher um, yeah. and I also self-publish in between because traditional publishing can take quite a long time between books. Totally. Um, so it can take a couple of years at a time. Yeah. So yeah. what I tend to do is I self-publish in between. Wow, wow. And they're okay with that, are they? Yeah, yes. Yeah, so I just yeah. make sure it's in my contract. Obviously, you know, that's yeah. fine with my publisher. Not all publishers might be happy yeah. with that. But yeah, uh, yeah. And you, you brought, obviously well. brought a very business like approach to this with your previous experience in business, which is frankly yeah. what a lot of authors, probably most authors, don't do. It's a bit of a, uh, no. a fantasy quite often, but it is, but when it comes down to it, it is actually business, isn't it? Yeah, totally. It's hard work. It's running. It is running your own business. Um, you know, because you don't have the marketing team, you don't have the PR, you don't have the advertising uh, budgets and everything. You have to sort all that yourself, and you have to fit it in with family life and your writing yeah. time. So it's a lot to do with time management. Um, yeah. But it can be done, and it can be done yeah. successfully as well. Yeah. Well, clearly, yeah. You've got a, you've got at least one bestseller out of it. Um, tell us about tell us about this one. We want to talk about the little ice cream shop by the sea. <laughs> Oh, yeah, this is my first book that's actually based in Essex, which is where I'm from. Yeah. Um, so I love this book. Um, and again, I sent, self-published this one. Um, and it just, I was so lucky. It literally shot up to the top 200 in the UK charts on Amazon and sat there for about a year. Fantastic. Um, so, yeah, and it's, uh, yeah, just readers seem to really like it. And I'm just so thankful for my readers. They are just unbelievable. Yeah, um, yeah. But, yeah, it's they, the book's uh, sort of full of ice cream and seasides and it's, uh, you know, it's what more do you want from a book? <laughs> it's, it's, a, it's a feel good. It's a feel good. Have yes, you, I mean, I've got, to mention, I've got to mention the two words, Brandon and Sanderson and maybe $41 million. Have you ever thought about Kickstarter? Is that on the cards for you? Yeah, no, well, not at the moment. No, I have, I've, I love watching and seeing all the different Kickstarter campaigns and how well authors are doing. I think it's absolutely yeah. brilliant. Um, but for me, my schedule's really like ram full at the moment anyway. And I think with a Kickstarter, again, you have to treat it like a business and you have to yeah. um, have a lot of plans in place um, to do that. But it's, it's definitely something that's always hovering in my mind thinking, wow, that's, that's incredible that you can do that. Um, yeah. and, and I have friends that have done it successfully. So it's, it's yeah. great. Yeah, it's very interesting, isn't it? Actually, I think it's a, it's, mm. it's a real alternative now. And I, I know this from is. conversations I've had with, you know, traditional publishers that they are absolutely sitting up and, and taking notice now. I think yes. it may actually change the nature of publishing. I think it, it yes. may well do that. But, you know, we yeah. can talk about that some of the time. We want to look at uh, submission number three now. And we also want to come back and talk to you about your nonfiction book uh, that okay. is specifically for writers and uh, the marketing thereof. <laughs> we go submission number three comes from fritzy von jessen i love that name too we've got some amazing names i don't know if they're all real or not but they are but i love that i'm going to say it again because i like it so much fritzy von jessen thank you fritzy for being you it's women's fiction it's called just orchid 
Just Orchid. Not our kid, Just Orchid. And this is uh, Fritz's blurb. Orchid's world is turned upside down when, at age 34, she discovers the man she knew as dad is her stepfather, and her father is Native American. Unhappily married, she leaves her racist husband to search for her roots, and with the hope of finding a family, a place to belong. With few clues, her journey takes her from glittering Manhattan to arid Palm Springs, the home <coughs> excuse me, of the Agua, Agua Caliente. I don't know if I've said that properly. Band of Cahuila. Oh, oh, please give me pronunciation guide. Someone Cahuila, I'm going to say Indians. She encounters obstacles, but makes friends who help change her self-perceptions. Okay. And... We want to know more about Fritzy, but we're not going to learn that much. I'm the author, says Fritzy, of two non-fiction books. Uh, first one, Tough Plants in a Fragile Land. Interesting title. And I Killed a Penguin. <laughs> what? Are you serious? I killed... That's, uh, that's a non-fiction book. I Killed a Penguin. Well, I'd look at it. I don't think I'd buy it. Um, and a novel, Growing Up Ugly. That's pretty good. How oh, oh, very distinctive. Um, the least we can do, I think, for you, Fritzy, is, a, is an amazing reading from Bev. Just Orchid by Fritzy von Jessen, read by Bev. You can't go home again is my only thought during the three-hour drive from my upstate childhood home. I taste tears, hot and metallic, at the back of my throat. Home? It seems strange how the place where one grows up retains that label. Mum's revelation was an earthquake. Dad's behaviour was the aftershock. Now, back in Manhattan, the mid-June sun high in the sky, I paced the living room in Sam's Park Avenue penthouse. It was always Sam's, never ours, even after thirteen years of marriage. Unhappiness lingers like dust on the glass and chrome furnishings, and the expensive accessories echo with nasty arguments interspersed with long, deadly silences. The door to the bedroom I no longer share with my husband is closed. I assume he is at his Wall Street office, playing with other people's money. Loneliness walks beside me, poking insistently with its sharp little elbow as I drift through the rooms, waiting to feel something Sad, happy, depressed, anything. It's as if I'm walking through a stranger's home. An involuntary shiver forms goosebumps on my arms. I'm suddenly cold. Cold with the kind of chill that comes from within. I wrap my arms tightly around my chest. Where everything happens so gradually. Like the proverbial frog gleefully hopping around in a pot of lukewarm water that progressively notches to a boil. My dream of a happy family died little by little. What to do? I must matter to somebody or I'm totally devalued. If I don't matter, I cease to exist. Outsiders see a charmed life of leisure and luxury, but the reality is a sparrow trapped in a gilded cage, surrounded by so many good things, a luxurious apartment, no money worries. It seems rude to be dissatisfied. You're not supposed to complain, so not only are you unhappy, but you find yourself feeling guilty about it. As an 18-year-old, painfully shy and new to Manhattan, 
Sam's charm and social connections and the ease with which he navigated his world swept me off my feet. My modelling career was still in its infancy and my dreams of becoming a supermodel a wispy cloud on the far horizon. Below the surface I remained an insecure girl from a small village. The attention of the older, sophisticated man was irresistible. Sam filled the empty spaces in my heart. I found the kind of love people write songs about, or so I thought. Did my childhood hunger for love make me imagine a man that never existed? If Sam knew then what I know now, he'd never have courted me. I take a deep breath. We've become two people occupying the same space. Our lives run parallel, but no longer touch. We each have our own routines for sleeping and waking, drifting past each other in the common rooms without bothering to make eye contact. Visions come at me like headlights slicing through the void to illuminate distasteful memories. Sam's discomfort with my friends, I assumed at the time, was due to their youth. They were all my contemporaries. When he insisted that I quit modelling, it wasn't fitting for a wife of his to work. His archaic attitude surprised me, but, believing in fairy tales and happy endings, I obeyed, albeit reluctantly. My fingers caressed the frame of the painting by an East Hampton artist we discovered that first summer of marriage, when Sam decided to update the penthouse. We don't need a decorator. You do it, Orchid. For months I buried myself in the project, my initial apprehension giving way to elation when it turned out I had an eye for interior design. And when it was done, my friends were gone, and I saw little of Sam, who spent long days at his Wall Street office or took frequent business trips. At loose ends, I accepted lunch invitation from wives of Sam's associates, under pressure from their spouses, I'm sure. I obviously didn't belong. Most of them had kids close to my age and treated me like a child, out of place among the grown-ups. Others were suspicious of me. Was I a gold digger? A threat to their marriage? They elevated bitchiness to an art form. Whoa. There we go. So we got some uh, great suggestions for the whole Google thing. Um, hypo search chondria says Matteon and Hannah says simptoogling. I like simptoogling. I think that could enter the OEG quite easily. Um, let's catch up with what the genius room is saying about that. Um, I, I I mean what I what I wrote down was. Sam, who's the husband, clearly is a controlling psychopath, which actually invites a fantastic scene, you know, and all, all we're getting really is, is you, Fritzy, just telling us about that. So I see that as a bit of a, a wasted opportunity. Um, some of this could go into flashback later, says E.G. Logan. Needs more about the shocking discovery. Yeah. Uh, and Vagabond, who of course is our narrator, says, I love the start of this, but then it became a bit stream of consciousness too. Yes, and we, that's the second time today. What's going on? Um, it's difficult to engage with internal monologue when we don't know the character yet. Uh, yeah, and Matt, Matt says, some formatting issues, several cliches, not really going anywhere. What are these miserable times? And uh, 
Han says, yeah, let's live the discovery of a talent for design with the protagonist. Absolutely. We want to, do we know to be told about this? We just, we, lots of, you know, neat little dramatic scenes. Um, uh, Matt, uh, Matt Sko says, I'm not sure. Are we supposed to feel for the main character? And Rachel from YouTube, what happened to the action? Walking through the apartment wasn't exciting, but it was something. I don't know. Annie. Um, well, there was a comment that Hannah made that you read out about um, her discovering her love for interior design. Mm. I think that would be a really good place to start, not only because it would be with action, but also because it would show us this luxury that she's currently living in and that I'm yeah. assuming she's yeah. going to leave behind. Yeah. So I think something like that, because even though there's a lot of nice writing and they're really nice imageries, um, and there were some things that I really liked, like the whole them living parallel lives and things like that, that was interesting, but the, there wasn't really a story there. Like we're yeah. not starting with any kind of action. And um, yeah. I mean, when, when I hear the whole, you have to start with action, what comes to mind is always like explosions and things like that. But obviously that's not what, <laughs> that's not what it means. It's more of just having your character doing something that's not yeah. just, you know, walking through her house. I know, it's, it's a lot of reflection going on and I don't care mm -hmm. enough at the beginning to, to, I like to wallow title, in that. Oh, I like the title. I think we've had mm -hmm. some great titles today, actually, apart from I Killed a Penguin. I hope you don't send that to us, Fritzy, because I don't <laughs> think it's going to get good marks, actually. People already saying negative things about it in the genius room. What did you think, Lizzie? Um, I thought that the writing was quite good, um, but I just, it's the same sort of thing. You're being told about her, her life rather than kind of being shown. I liked you could get a bit of her personality and obviously it was about her husband and they say how separate she is from them um, mm. and all his friends obviously uh, don't approve. So I thought that was quite interesting and it is the sort of story that I would like to know more about. So I would definitely yeah. want to read on. Yeah. Um, but like you say, there's not enough about her really yet um to just keep drawing out the personality uh, yeah. other than the sort of the situation she's in yes that is true i'm afraid um anything further from the genius room i think we have got a can't come from katie allen uh this character is lugubrious and rather too self-absorbed to be readily relatable that's that's the truth I mean, i think that's always the case if you know if you get in endless sort of self-reflection though isn't it um it's like you know being in the corner of that networking event that, that i now know how to escape thank you hannah um regardless of sam's wickedness in this in this genre, deep, witty, also funny, recommend, uh, and Katie always comes up with great uh, book recommendations, The Garrick Year by Margaret Trabble. I haven't come across that. I will definitely watch out for that, possibly in a secondhand um, bookshop. And Justin from YouTube says, cliche upon cliche, too correct, devoid of drama. Thank you, Justin. I can't disagree with that. So I'm wondering what the numbers are looking like here. You got a 56. You got a 56. I think I voted quite heavily on concept. I like this concept. I like it. I want to see it come alive. It's not doing that for me at the moment. Let's, we're over halfway through now. Let's look at the numbers. And the numbers are... Wow. Wow. Yeah, Hazel, you're in the lead there with a 61. I think that dropped a point, actually, since we last looked at it. But uh, we, the night is young. And we have yet to... I tell you what, I just want to ask... Lizzie, one more thing about romance. So what is this about romance? Why do we like reading it so much? Why is it one of the biggest uh, genres of, 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 you know, of commercial fiction? And did you pick it? 
because you can make lots of money out of it or did you pick it because you're just a soft softy really it's the softy thing um because for me i was obviously going through a tough time and i just wanted to write something uplifting in the hope that maybe someone else was having a hard time and they might also pick up the book and read it and feel uplifted by it fantastic very much to do with romance is you just want to step out of your life for a moment either be relatable where you know someone's going through the same thing as you or basically you can just step out of your life and jump into some sunshine or a different setting and and just you know step so um you've suddenly started to sound like a robot it probably will self-correct um and that's really weird because i was just going to ask you about robots i mean i mean it's, oh, it's serious <laughs> yeah it's serious stuff actually apparently the the in thing for men and women and anyone else you want to care to mention is a partnership with an ai bot apparently they're very good they're, they're touchy-feely they'll make you feel great and they don't always don't don't do all these you know difficult things that partners can do sometimes i mean do uh, what do you think is it going to happen you're going to be writing about it in five years' oh. time? Well, who knows? Who knows what's going to happen? But obviously, um, I actually like writing about the nuances of a personality, you know, the ups and the downs and the good and the bad. Yeah. And I think if you've got someone that's completely perfect sitting next to you, then your life might be a little bit dull um, because that's what we love about people is that they're all different and they're all, yes. uh, you know, different personalities. And, and you know, the odd argument here and there, sometimes it clears the air. <laughs> Yes, well, I, I remember that next time I have to justify myself. Um, <laughs> is there a generational thing going on in terms of readers? Do you find that, you know, older generation of readers want one thing from romance and younger generation want something else? Not really? Not not for me, you know, because my readership is quite wide, actually. And again, I think it's just people want to... Yeah. step out of the daily lives and have some read something that's going to make them laugh it's going to make them you know smile uh, and enjoy it you know free time is very precious for everybody um so yeah. to spend that free time with a book you're going to actually sort of pick up a book and want to get something from the book yeah. so you know whatever it is you want with the romance genre most people want to you know read something that's going to make them happy yeah i'm just going to ask any the same question actually because she is oh she's younger than me Definitely, a lot younger than me. Do you feel? Do you feel a lot a, younger than me. Yeah. Do you feel there's a generational divide there, Annie, in terms of romance, expectations, and reading habits mm. and stuff like that? Well, I think in general, younger readers might be they might have more expectations when it comes to diversity. Yeah. So maybe yes. that's something with um, books that tackle more social issues. Yeah. But yeah. I think that's something that can vary depending on what country they're from as well. Yeah, true. Cultural norms and stuff. So, um, Lizzie, I, I want to talk to you, uh, get, get the benefit of your knowledge and wisdom about social networking for writers. Cause a lot of writers tend to be on the introverted end of the, the scale. They don't really want to do it. They don't want to go out and, and press the flash. They don't see why they should. What advice? You don't have to be extrovert to network. That is the absolutely brilliant thing about it. You can network online very simply with social media accounts these days. There's lots and lots of um, groups you can join, Facebook, Twitter, anywhere. Um, And most places these days do online seminars. Uh, You can just link up. You don't even have to show your face. You can keep the camera closed down. So actually, you know, 
networking isn't about standing in the middle of the room and shouting I'm here it's about making those one connection maybe it's a coffee with someone uh, you know from a local group that you just say let's go for a coffee and swap business cards or it can be I, I walked up to a hotel business cards a, a are you saying are you saying yeah, that writers cards. have business oh, cards yeah. oh my god of course they do revolutionary <laughs> concepts yes right. of course we all have business oh, you've cards got, you've got a business card <laughs> oh cute <laughs> oh, wow. oh, what, uh, what, what, does, what does it say what does it say under it's, it? It's got, I don't want to show it. Oh, there does it is. Say yeah, romance novelist. My book covers and it's got oh, reviews on the very back. Good. Yeah. Yeah. Very good. Very so good. So wherever you are, you might yeah. talk to someone and they say, oh, well, I like books oh, my or my God. daughter or my son or whoever. Yeah. And you say, here's a card. Check me out. <gasps> what, what, that, That's networking. That, <laughs> absolute gold dust. Absolute gold dust. I love it, love it, love it. I've got to ask you the, the question that confronts most writers, though, about, you know, the whole social, uh, social uh, media sort of stuff. And, you know, for many yeah. people, you know, they could either sort of write manuscripts or they could be on social media. But, you know, my God, it can like, use your time up, can't it? I mean, how do you how do you look at that sensibly and logically well, and portion your time? I do it with this again. Uh, this a little desk timer. It's literally a literal ki a desk kitchen timer. timer. How yeah. clever. And I will whack that on for 20 minutes at a time. And I yeah. will think, right, I've got a certain amount of words. Or yeah. even if I'm doing social media or I'm uh, marketing or whatever. I'll just slap yeah. a timer on and then I know that during that hour that is what I'm doing I'm not you know looking at yeah. cat videos or I'm not chatting to friends online or uh, you know I am actually getting my head down and getting those jobs done and once you've done those jobs then you can be you know chatting Damn. online and you know oh checking the videos god. out or whatever oh my god is <laughs> this in your is this in your book yes it's in the book it is yeah. alright and I, I can't see it from here what's the book called it's called Networking for Networking Writers Networking for Writers easy really isn't it now working for writers fabulous i mean god thank you gold dust gold dust submission number four here we go <laughs> here we are it's from diane hello diane hopefully you're with us today uh you can review us you know we're reviewing you um it's adult fantasy romance and it's the world between us the world between us i think we've had some corking titles today i love that title just a slight feeling i might have come across it before hopefully i haven't maybe it's been a big hit recently if it has then oh dear but if it hasn't then i i really love that title I, i'm going to give it good marks um and this is diane's blurb when kayla finds herself adrift in a land of magic Without medication for her chronic illness, she's desperate to return home as quickly as she can. She doesn't need her blossoming feelings for the elven prince complicating things, or his father's belief that her blood might be his key into the human realm. Trapped in the castle and compelled to secrecy, Kayla has until the next winter solstice to figure a way out, and her magical ancestry could be the one thing able to save her. You tell everybody about you, Diane. Uh, I'm a full-time mum from Malta. I don't think we've had a submission from Malta before. I'm not knowing you so. Where I live with my husband, our two kids, and two furry Pomeranian babies. I have a, an honours bachelor's degree in communication studies and worked as a photo editor for five years. The first book I ever wrote was when I was six or seven. That's so common, actually. Oh, yeah, a lot of writers start at that age. Um, but writing a full novel has been my dream. I love all things magic and fantasy, and that love spills into my writing whether I want it to or not. Um, I, in this novel, I wanted to portray a character who's struggling with grief, trauma, and chronic illness. Uh, 
But she absolutely refuses to give up and will stop at nothing to protect those she loves, even at her own cost. And I know one narrator who's not going to stop at anything either, and that is Robert. The World Between Us by Diane, read by Robert. Chapter 1, Declan. Declan stared at the document spread before him, the solution to his people's freedom and his father's ruin. In his year and a half as leader of the resistance, he never thought he'd be considering this path. Worse still, he never imagined he'd demand it of himself. He rubbed a finger to his temple. As Crown Prince of Lockhaven, he was no stranger to difficult decisions, but this this was the worst sin he could commit against one of his kind. Declan closed his eyes, allowed himself a single moment of remorse before schooling his features into the assured demeanour expected of him. Across the table, six pairs of eyes waited for his reaction, their scrutiny turning the musty air in this dimly lit cellar heavy and stifling. Not for the first time, he wished for the privacy of his emotions, yet that luxury he'd long since learned to do without. Declan, his sister, the only one by his side, laid a hand on his arm. Emran's quiet resignation trickled in through his magic, mirroring his own. Because, in truth, there was no choice at all. Their father's tyranny had to be stopped, by any means necessary. That did not make the burden weigh any less. Declan gave her a stiff nod, then turned to face the other elves seated opposite him. An avalanche of different emotions flooded his gift, the tartness of scepticism, the bitterness of doubt, and the hesitance of hope. He could pinpoint exactly which emotion belonged to which elf. To the far left of the table, Lord Teagan and Lord Brennan sat with their trademark narrowed eyes and arched brows, like contemplating halves of each other one bulky, one the other reed thin, one bald, the other with a full head of greying hair, both descended from two of the wealthiest mountain elf houses, and, sporting egos the size of their entire realm, they'd opposed him and Emrin at every turn. Declan made sure to meet each of their stares before letting his gaze trail to the other two nobles beside them. Lord Raleigh, younger than the other lords, with a face that was more suited to smiling than the serious expression it sported now, and Lady Emmeline, brown hair swept into a usual updo, with strings of pearls and diamonds around her neck. Wariness clouded their feelings, but there was none of the scepticism emanating from Brennan and Teagan. Your Highness, called a voice to his right, so you all see, Elder of the Wood Elves, and the one responsible for uncovering the information they gathered to discuss tonight. Next to her, Kaerif, Elder of the Avriels, the winged elves and protectors of their kingdom, gave her a tiny nod, his magnificent wings tucked close to his leather-vested chest. Lacking in noble statuses, they'd both been included in the resistance on his and Emrin's insistence, yet their loyalty was honest and genuine. Declan trusted them far more than he ever would the others. He turned to the female elder and inclined his head. Speak freely, Sayosi. As always, 
he read nothing other than respect in her emotions. Your Highness, I know this must be conflicting for you, but it is the only way we could ever hope to end the King's manipulation. This is our best chance to curb His Majesty's magic, added Lord Raleigh. Declan sighed. Going through with this will do far more than curb my father's magic, Lord Raleigh, and you know it. The elf didn't reply. For a moment, silence reigned, thick and sour as lemons. Now they think I'm not willing to do this. Declan took a breath, ready to dispel the fresh wave of doubt assaulting his magic. When Emring covered his hand with hers, Declan, it is what we vowed to do, she murmured. It is our duty. And it was. Of course, it was. As magical elves, he and his sister were the only beings in the kingdom their father couldn't control. Declan gave her another nod, turned to Sayorsi. Are you certain this object exists? Yes, your highness, but it can only be found in the High Kingdom, and it is heavily protected by the royal guards. Lord Tegan cleared his throat. He waited until Declan's eyes met his, his before he spoke. Lord Brennan and I have received word that the High King's daughter will be available for courtship soon. There is nothing official yet, but we are sure of our informants, aren't we, Lord Brennan? Yes, yes, quite sure, replied the big elf by his side. Lord Tegan fixed his beady eyes on Declan. Perhaps, your highness, you could present yourself as a suitor for the princess. If you were to be invited to the palace, your proximity to the High King should make it easier to position him for access to the artifact. Oh, that is an excellent idea, Lady Emmeline interjected, her eyes bright. Emmeline's fingers tightened around his. It is a sound plan, Declan. Will you do it, Your Highness? asked Sayorsi. Would he do it? Betray his own father? Inflict a fate worse than death on him? for the chance of saving his people from tyranny and oppression? Declan squared his shoulders and stood to his full height. Yes. Yes, I will. Good. Glad, glad he was going to, otherwise the book would be very short, actually, wouldn't it? Um, let's have a look at the genii. Uh, Taken from the top. Um, some really nice moments in this, says Matt. I wonder what anyone, I want to talk about the title. Um, Eva likes the title. Nice blurb and title says Matt. Blurb sounds YA. Now that's a theme that the geniuses are, uh, and I believe that is that is actually the correct plural for genius geniuses. But I prefer to say genie really mostly. Um, E.G. Logan says adults not just YA. I, yeah, there's, they, they're kind of wondering about the genre here, trying to fit it into the into the right slot. Um, and Johnny says it may well be women's fiction, but sounds a little more like Game of Thrones at the moment. It does. Barbara, no, John, you're not really. We only think we exist. Oh, they're off. You see, this is what, what geniuses do when, when they sort of, their attention veers a little bit. You've got to keep their attention. You've got, you've got to time down. Interesting names these elves have. Kind of Celtic, says E.G. And I think uh, Hannah picks that up as well but i can't see that at the moment i'm sure there's a good story hidden in this as a vagabond but it's a bit heavy going at the moment jeff says a bit pedestrian now james yeah i don't get women's fiction either 
right be honest about it that's the best way bit mired in the place and protocol says johnny i'd say this is more fantasy than women's fiction says eg logan and um, where's the hint of romance says vagabond yes that's what we want and justin says quite fa- straightforward nice place earls castles etc folklore and fairy tales fits nice in the fantasy genre but in this case i wonder what adult means and several people have wondered that too what are you wondering about lizzie um i was asking the same thing i, I would have liked to have seen a bit more romance um mm. from the start uh, but saying that as it got to the end and there was the whole you know will he um sort of become a suitor f- um or not i thought that led into that really quite nicely and i thought the writing was really um very nice it did it did sort of give you feeling about the characters and you were sort of invested in the whole what was going to happen the siblings having to uh you know sort of usurp their their father so I was, you know, quite invested in the story, but I would like to have seen a bit more about the romantic interest. Yeah, well, we yes, absolutely. We didn't. We got the slightest smidgen of that, actually. Yeah, just a, um, just a, just a hint. Yeah, it is. It is going a bit Game of Thrones Tolkienist, actually, isn't it? Um, yeah, I mean, I don't know honestly if I had read on, but again, I don't know if I'm the the target reader. Adult fantasy romance. What does that mean? Adult fantasy romance. Not quite sure. Annie. Um, well, I think that the blurb could have been split into um, two point of views because that then would have prepared us for starting this first chapter from... Because um, I think we all had the expectation of starting with this girl with her chronic mm. illness and everything. Mm. And then we're meeting this other character instead. Um, I get the feeling that it might not be starting in the right place even with his point of view. Like, I think you can start with him, but... They kept talking about what he was going to do and all these interesting things that were going to happen. And I just kept thinking, why can't we start there? Like, maybe Uh, there's obviously some big plot element that the writer can change, but with him um, going to maybe become a suitor, but obviously he's got these hidden intentions, maybe that would be a more interesting place to start because uh we've got this... I think that these kind of scenes in fantasy where characters are, you know, they're sitting around the table and they're discussing plans, I think they work better when they're already in the midpoint of a book where you already, you're familiar with the characters and the world building, but here it's just a lot of, um, a lot of characters and a lot of world building all at once. So if we could stick maybe to just one character. Yeah, it's very, very genre writing at the moment. I, and I, I don't feel mm-hmm. it's, it's romance either. Several people have said that. Uh, Vagabond says, where's the end of romance? The author's writing himself into the story, says Hannah. I totally agree with that. He needs to start where the story really starts. Yes, he does. He does indeed. Let's look at the numbers. Wow, 68. Not bad, Diane. 68. I think that probably puts you in the lead at the moment. Let's just see. It certainly does, doesn't it? Wow, yes. You've got across the board there. Not bad, but we haven't had submission number five yet, which is what we're just going to do right now. Touch of Euphoria. Romantic fantasy. Well, we had sort of fantasy romance, and now we've got romantic fantasy. This is from Cat. Hello, Cat. Thank you for the QR code there, too. Please scan it and go wherever Cat commands you to. Uh, meanwhile, I'll read the blurb. A magical love story spanning two worlds. The novel starts in Scotland, where the relationship between Lucy and her literacy hero... Literacy hero? Literacy hero? I haven't had one of those before. 
Hmm. Uh, Fabian begins. Lucy soon discovers she's not just an average woman. Fabian's own secrets are forced to the surface too. The fantasy world he writes about is more than just fiction. Euphorus is his home and he's heir to the kingdom. Together they journey to Euphorus on an adventure to discover the truth about Lucy and battle the evil that threatens their world. I like that concept. Not a million miles away from uh, a book that I edited a few years ago, but I still like the concept. Let me tell you about Cat. As a mother of four, I've never had the time to fully devote to writing, can believe that, until now. I've been writing for 20 years, and now I want to take my passion for writing to a higher level. I've always been an enthusiastic reader, very good, um, essential really for writers. I was never out of, uh, out of the library as a child, praised from my inspirational English teacher. How often that is said by writers, isn't it, actually? An inspirational English teacher makes all the difference, um, who told me I had a flair for storytelling, gave me the confidence to start writing, and I haven't stopped since. I've been clicking away for years, grabbing time in between bringing up my family to start projects whenever an idea came flooding in. For me, it's all about the story and the characters. I love entertaining my readers with a fun, heartwarming story and plot twists that they don't see coming. Oh, right, well, I do see coming right now. A fabulous reading by Hannah. Touch of Euphoria by Cat Holland, read by Hannah. The smell of freshly baked scones wafted deliciously through the bookshop, adding to the quiet excitement that buzzed in the air. Some of the fan club had turned out for what Lucy hoped would be the most momentous event to ever occur in the history of the Lavender Bookshop and Bakery, if not Matherton Village itself. It wasn't every day that a celebrity came to visit. Not just a celebrity, in Lucy Lavender's opinion. Fabian Lightfoot was more of a personal hero. He brought to life a world Lucy felt more connected to than the one she actually lived in. Suze, her most valued employee, flashed a smile that got her all of the big tips. It was a reassuring smile, one that always filled Lucy with hope whenever she wobbled. It did exactly that as she finished cutting the egg crest sandwiches for the upcoming afternoon tea. No matter how much she attempted to calm her nerves, her hands still trembled and her heart had travelled up to her throat and set up residence there. It beat so violently she found it hard to breathe. It didn't help matters that Mr Lightfoot's PR people weren't very forthcoming with the details for today's event. Lucy wasn't exactly sure when her guest would arrive. She had emailed over a plan to Mr. Lightfoot's office earlier this week, finalising the details. Her idea was to have more than just a simple book signing. Initially, when she first approached his office, inviting him to her humble bookshop, she had never expected a response. He was, by nature, a profoundly private person, rarely attended press events, never did interviews and wasn't particularly active on social media. When she received an email indicating he might be interested, she went into idea overdrive. With the help of her online fan club fans, she pieced together a book signing that would stretch far beyond a face-to-face -face meet and greet as many of the fan club were scattered all around the globe. He's here, 
came in the back door. He's all by himself, Suze gushed, rushing over to her side. She was practically giddy. Standing at just under four foot eleven, Suze wasn't the tallest of women, but what she lacked in height, she made up for enthusiasm. Her smile was infectious, and she fidgeted like an overexcited child. He's smaller than me. Did you know that? Lucy blinked a few times. She didn't know that. To be honest, she hadn't really thought about what he looked like at all. She had been more interested in finding out what inspired him to invent Euphorus, a magnificent fantasy world where magic was real and clans of different beings tried to coexist and resolve conflicts that threatened their perfect lives. Lucy loved his books, devoured them over and over until she craved to be part of it all. She wasn't interested in how tall Fabian Lightfoot was, but rather what was going on in his head when he wrote about the Kelpies, a river-dwelling clan of shapeshifters that were intent on causing chaos, or the Silverhairs, fairy royalty who endeavoured to keep feasts and rule fairly over the entire kingdom. He's in your office. I'm getting him a latte. I told him you'd be right in to introduce yourself. He strikes me as a very grumpy man, she added with a raise of an eyebrow. And not to put pressure on, but the crowd seems to be getting restless. Okay, well at least he's here. Lucy sighed with nervous excitement. I should go see him, shouldn't I? Sue snorted. Remember to be professional. Don't go all fangirl on him. No promises, Lucy laughed and wrapped up the last of the sandwiches for later. Get the guys to work the queue and ask if they want refreshments while they wait. Oh, that's a great idea. Caffeine up the fantasy nerds so they're all hyped up when they meet the grumpy dwarf, Sue scoffed, as the steam from the coffee machine drowned out her tinkling laughter. Don't call him that, Lucy admonished, pushing a tray in front of her friend so she could place the latte on it. All right, straight to the genius room, and um, Mattion has said, just said, took a while, but enjoying and seeing some great story potential. I see that too. I think it's it's a very interesting idea. Probably not original, but you know, not a lot is actually these days, or even in the days of Shakespeare. Um, yeah, sort of, you know, a, a, a trans world romance. I can see, I can see potential in that. Uh, Johnny agrees. Uh, uh, Beach read, yeah, a uh, bit telly. Uh, E.G. Logan, do people tip bookshop employees? No, they don't, but they ought to. Um, I never have. Was that in the bakery? Uh, it could be, yes. I might get confused. Johnny Fabian Lightfoot, great name. Sounds like a contemporary of Kingston Bagpuis. You're torturing me, Johnny. I don't know what the, who that is. Eva likes the Lavender Bookshop and Bakery. What a combination, Johnny says. Nice title. Lizzie, let's get your views on the title first. Do you like the title? Yeah, I didn't mind the title, actually. Uh-huh. Um, obviously, once you start reading the book, uh, it gives you a bit more insight into, uh, you know, what that's all about. Um, and I found the writing style, uh, again, really quite promising. I enjoyed it. Um, it was kind of very rom like romance genre where you've got the little bookshop and you've got, um, oh, you know, so Notting Hill. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Cupcakes and all that kind of thing. But then obviously you've got the other side of it with the other world coming into it. And I found that that was a little bit disconnecting because um, I wasn't quite sure how you jump from sort of 
cosy bookshop to you know um, elves and dwarves and that kind of thing um, so for me there was a little bit of a disconnect there but I thought the writing was um, you know it was very engaging um, so I would have uh, kept reading you would keep reading well that's 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 good enough yeah. for me what did you think Annie Right. Um, um, I, I really liked yourself. this. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> I have to be careful with that road. <laughs> um, no, I really enjoyed this. I think that um, the author did. Well, now I can hear. There's a. That's a, don't worry about here. it. It's fine. It's fine. It's, it's just some Spanish the, gentlemen enjoying yeah. themselves on this Easter yeah. Sunday. <laughs> I know. Um, no, I think the the first chapter did quite a good job at introducing. Um, the setting there's um i also like the fact that there was that surprise of the author being quite short like there's these nice little things that um, kind of keep you going um i do feel like there could have been a little bit more of um setting or more atmosphere slightly um, yeah, with the bookshop yeah, especially I know, yeah. we get just that little hint at the start with the freshly baked scones but I'm not really seeing a bookshop and especially if there's going to be a signing then maybe um, someone's setting up a pile of the guy's books and that way we get to see what the covers look like um, things like yeah. that and also um, since we met, since um, there's also this fantasy element to it um, and she's in Scotland and it sounds like some mm. of the it sounds like some of the things in the novel and the fantasy book are maybe inspired by Celtic mythology. I so think maybe so. maybe there could be like a window in the bookshop where she can like see outside and maybe I don't know, I'm kind of rambling here about No, bit, it's great. Maybe, like, it's great, yeah. <laughs> no, I totally I'm, could, like, Yeah. Well, I'm if she can see like nature or something that kind of can give you a hint without saying anything but like maybe there's a river there or something that then when she's talking about these um, river dwellers and things like that that can yes. kind of link it together I've just been I've just been reading Barbara's comment that it's completely off 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 topic but it's still funny on a side note says Barbara I saw one of my neighbours this afternoon jump starting his wife's car in his Christmas pyjamas I said season's greeting to you sir I don't know why that really gets me. It's surreal, guys. Uh, back on top again. Kate uh, says more detail on the protagonist to engage us will be good. It would be. Uh, and Hannah, I think, has got an absolutely gorgeous suggestion. I prefer it to be called the Lavender Bookshop and Bakery. That would be lovely, wouldn't it? Oh, I think it would be picked up. Yeah. Um, Easy Riders outside Annie's window, says Johnny. Oh, this is live. And Matt says, premises similar to that of Magic Kingdom for sale series, which I don't know, actually, Terry Brooks. More showing, less telling is what I'm getting, says Hey K. Thank you. Comfy, nice atmosphere, says Johnny. No pretensions. Okay, so let's look at the numbers, shall we? And I'm looking at a 64 there, which means it's quite tight, actually, isn't it, Kat? Um, Merry Easter. <laughs> Yeah. What are they on about? What are they on? Um, let's look at the overall score now because I think we've got a winner rapidly approaching. Yes, we have. And look at that. It's Diane. Isn't that amazing? The World Between Us. Adult Fantasy Romance by Diane Ferrugia. Read by Robert Derry. You've done it, Diane. Right. 
You're absolutely correct. That's a very good score. It's not quite 74. I don't know if we're going to see a 74 this month, but it's a spiffing score and you should be proud. We're proud. We're very proud of Lizzie and Annie. Delighted to have Lizzie on for the first time. Hopefully not the last. Oh, we'll have to see afterwards, won't we, what she really thinks. Hopefully. Actually, what a great piece of... Oh, I think it's all right. I can hear her laughing. Um, what a great piece of advice, actually. Writers out there, carry a business card. That's the coolest Always. thing I've heard. <laughs> Always, yeah. Thank you very much, Lizzie. Thank you to everybody else, of course, who contributes to make this show a show. Um, everyone behind the scenes, all our narrators. You know who you are. Too numerous to mention, but not too numerous to say. A very, very heartfelt thank you. And thank you for being with us on this fairly relaxed, very pleasant Easter Sunday. I hope it's a peaceful week for you. And I do hope you see us again live next Sunday. Hit it!